0: Hello friends. I don't know about you, but I feel like every week of this parable series, the bumpers like this reveal moment because I cannot wait to see each week where our Kiwani brothers have rendered in the form of art as they've shown us what it looks like for them to artistically capture the parables. And men at Kiwani, I want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your gift of creativity with us. It has been beautiful to just watch your renderings of the parables and watch them come to life on canvas. At our campuses, you'll notice out in our lobbies, we've been featuring the different artwork pieces. And I just want to remind you that on September 15th, that's a Sunday night, at our Rock Island campus, we're inviting you to come together. We're going to be watching the um, neighbor documentary about Mr. Rogers' life and talking about what it looks like to neighbor well but we're also going to be doing a silent auction for those paintings um, I know I have my eye on two of them so come prepared to bid it up because all of the money that we raised at that event is going to go back into our ministry with those who are incarcerated at our Kiwani campus but also at the Rock Island County Jail and so you don't want to miss out on that opportunity um, man it is good to be back You know, it's good to go away and good to go on some vacation and refresh. And Sean and I uh, took two weeks to do some of that, and we've been back the last few weeks. But this is my first opportunity to engage with all of you in this way. And it's good to be back. It is good to be up here, um, able to just unpack this parable with you of the persistent widow. Now, I want to warn you on the front end for those of you who like to get right down to it, this this is not one of those days. We're not going to get right down to the parable because. I've got some exciting news that I want to share with you. Many of you know that we've been on a journey with our Zoe group in Kenya. In November, we announced a partnership with Zoe. If you want more information about Zoe, you can go to wearezoe.org. Zoe is a child empowerment ministry uh, that works with children all around the world to help empower them out of poverty and to see them restored relationally in the physical world we live in, but most importantly, in their spiritual relationship with Jesus. And so in January, we started a partnership with a group of kids in Kenya. And I told you that I would let you know when they came together and what was happening there. And so this is the latest update. Um, The picture that you can kind of see here um, on the the screen and and maybe in the larger screen is our group of kids taken in April of just this past year. So just a few months ago, they have named themselves the Conquerors group. Um, Every child group comes together and it's one of the first decisions they make. And I love that because I think of the scripture that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And it is our prayer that they that they live into the fullness of what it would mean for them to, under, to live as conquerors in their everyday life. This group represents 33 family groups and 89 children. All of them are in child-headed households. And one of the things that we committed to early on is that not only would we be coming alongside this group for three years, but that I would come back to you and let you know how you could interact and adopt one one of those family groups in prayer um, we've been talking about this with our kids all along and I want to let you know that our heritage kids ministry starting in January began receiving their weekly offering from the kids and calling it kids change for change And so they talk about the Zoe kids and they've been interacting with our children. And our children have become so connected to this and so impassioned by this, that they have raised over $6,000 since January toward our group, um, which I just think is awesome to see our kids and our families. Parents, I know that you've been a part of those conversations and I wanna say thank you. Additionally, on September 3rd, we're gonna be sending our first group from Heritage of seven people to Kenya to interact personally with our kids and they're going to pray over our kids and encourage them and to say to those kids, we see you, we love you, we're standing with you in prayer. And so they're going as ambassadors of Jesus first and foremost, but also of heritage. And so I would encourage you uh, to be praying for them as they continue to prepare to go and as they're there from September 3rd to the 12th. And so today, out in our lobby area at Bettendorf campus, it's gonna be right in your Next Steps area. Here at Rock Island, it's just around the corner from our Next Steps area, heading down into the Kids area. You're gonna see a board that has the big letters ZOE on top of it. And in that board, you will find a prayer card, and it has a picture of our kids, and on the back, our prayer points, specific ways that you can partner in praying for our group. And then down here, there's a gray area on this card, but each one of those cards has a unique family group attached to that card. And so as you pull out a card, that would be the family group that you would be praying for over the next two and a half years as we continue uh, to just partner with these children. The child listed at the top of that sticker, that's the head of household. And so that would kind of be uh, the matriarch or the patriarch of that group. And then underneath would be the children that that, that that child is also responsible for. You know, as a church family, we have a beautiful opportunity to come together and stand with these children. And not only these children, but one of our commitments that, w- that w- is, as a church is that what we're doing overseas um, is also something that we do here in our 24-7-365. And so we as a church have made a commitment to continue to stand with kids who are vulnerable, kids who are at risk, kids who are marginalized, kids who are under-resourced. And so you see that when, when you hear about things like the, the work that we're doing at Thurgood Marshall and at Jefferson Elementary, the partnership that we have there, and our work at the Esperanza bus stop. And the reason that we do that, it reminds me of Isaiah 117, where we're instructed to learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. It is our heart that we would increasingly be a church who stands in the gap and seeks justice for children. So, I want to pray for us right now that God would continue to equip us for that. I want to pray for our Zoe kids and our team that's going. And then we'll start to dive into the message. All right, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Spirit, we are so grateful for the opportunity to partner with these children. And we celebrate the beautiful work that you have already begun in their hearts. And we claim that you are the one who will be faithful to see it through to the day of completion. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, to do our part, whether it's to give financially, to partner in prayer, to adopt in prayer over these next few years, whether that looks like going, we pray that you would help us to be faithful, to do our part, to come alongside, to encourage, to lift up, to empower, For Jesus, we celebrate that you are the hero of the story. You are the hero of every story, and you are the hero of this story, and we say thank you for allowing us to play just a small part. Father, we pray for our team as they continue to prepare, um, and just prepare their hearts and minds and souls and spirits and bodies for what you have in store for them. Help them to lay down any personal agenda and just to be open to Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, what you want to do in and through them for your honor and glory. We pray that you would assure them that they are equipped because they are called, they are worthy because of you. Father, I pray that as we continue to embody this care and concern for children who are in the margins, here in our Quad City community, would you continue to give us eyes to see? Would you continue to grow our hearts? Would you continue to allow us to see space that maybe we thought we didn't have in our schedule, to give up some time, to encourage teachers who are working in tough spaces, to be a reading coach, to give homework help, to provide a space in the morning that's safe and secure where kids can eat some food, and get ready for their school day. Father, stir our hearts towards this because we know it stirs yours because you say that you care about this. We love you and we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well now we get into our parable moment. We've had a great opportunity to look at a lot of interesting parables and we've been looking at the parables of Jesus found just in the book of Luke. And the definition that we've been using for what is a parable is this one. It's a simple story with a spiritual truth. Now, that's a great definition, and it kind of of helps us to understand that when Jesus is telling a parable, he's using a different teaching method than when he's just talking, than when he's teaching. Um, He's he's actually in, like, storytelling mode. And so this is the definition we've been using, but I wanted to add two words to that definition um, just for us to consider. And it's these two words. One of the things that I've found in looking at the parables of Jesus is that this definition often is what, the first time you read it, that's what's going on, a simple story with a spiritual truth. But it's helped me to think about it this way, that a parable is a seemingly simple story with a layered spiritual truth. Because here's the reality, you can dive into Jesus' parables again and again And it's amazing to me how the deeper you go into them, depending on what's going on in your own life, your spiritual maturity, your experiences, what you're, what you're understanding about the context of how Jesus is delivering that parable, there's a lot going on in that story. There's actually often more than one truth that can be gleaned from it. There's not just one nugget, there's one. And then you can go back and there's two, and then there's three. And so that's one of the, one of the things that we're going to look at in this parable today, that there's not just one way to look at it. There's not just one truth that's happening in the parable. Now, the other thing I want us to do before we look at this parable is to look at the context that Jesus is bringing the parable to. And so one of the things as we look at scripture, you know, there's verses and there's chapters and those are man-made references to help us find uh, the stories and things that we want to go back to. But actually at the end of Luke 17, um, that's actually the context for this parable that happens in Luke 18. And so we're gonna look at Luke 17 together. The encounter here actually starts in verse 20 and we don't have time to read all that, but I encourage you to in your time this week with the Lord to go back and read Luke 17 starting in verse 20 and to read all the way through the parable at some point, but let me set the scene. Jesus is once again interacting with the Pharisees. The Pharisees have asked Jesus about the kingdom of God. And Jesus is letting them know what the revelation of the kingdom of God looks like. That it is both an invitation and a declaration. That it's not a thing or even just a space. That the kingdom of God is ushered in by the Son of Man and will only be realized when the Son of Man returns. Now, we understand that the Son of Man that Jesus is talking about is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the one who would die on the cross. But the Pharisees are listening to Jesus talking about this, and they're not interacting with Jesus as though he is the Son of Man. And so, and so when you start to understand what's going on, it's like, wow, Jesus is talking about this, the Pharisees are understanding it as this, and so Jesus moves from there into a conversation with his disciples where he delivers to them this parable. You see, Jesus' incarnation, Jesus coming to earth as a baby, that was the beginning of the invitation from the Son of Man to understand the kingdom of God. And when Jesus returns, because Jesus is coming back, that will be the end of the invitation, my friends. And at that point, there is now a declaration that the kingdom of God is here and is present and then we experience the, the new heaven and the new earth the kingdom of God will only be realized in its fullness at that moment when Jesus comes back so let's look at Luke 17 we're going to pick it up in verse 33 so this is kind of in the middle of the conversation that's going back and forth with the Pharisees and this is what Jesus says and he says these words to us if you cling to to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. On that night, and Jesus is talking about when the Son of Man is revealed, when the Son of Man returns, there will be two people asleep in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill and one will be taken and the other left. Well, where will this happen, Lord, the disciples asked. Jesus replied, just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Now this isn't a scare tactic, but this is precious truth I want to remind us of. We live in the space of invitation now. The invitation to experience relationship with Jesus, the son of man who initiated the invitation by his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection. But there's an urgency to both receiving the invitation and extending the invitation to others because my friends, Jesus is returning for those who are his followers. Now I know this passage reads a bit like Left Behind. If you remember those books and the movies, the books were better than the movies. Um, But I want us to like feel that urgency. I want us to sit in that urgency. I want us to understand that Jesus promised to return, and Jesus always keeps His promises. And so, my friends, for those of us who are who are Christ followers, there's an urgency to our mission. We talk about it like this at Heritage, we exist to connect people to God, to each other in the gathering of believers and to their purpose. And their purpose ultimately is to know God because we were created for relationship with God. I think though, in our everyday life, we often lose sight of this truth, that he's returning and there's an urgency to that invitation. We get so caught up in what is happening in our present reality and ro- the temporal world. We're distracted. We get burdened, discouraged, fractured, enraptured, delighted, And the things happening here and now, and we often lose sight of the reality of our daily mission in light of eternity. Our days here are fleeting. Jesus knew our temptation to store up for ourselves treasures here where moth and rust decay and he cautioned us against this over and over again. As Christ followers, what he invites us into is to throw off worldly concerns like status and privilege and climbing the ladder and even our reputation and our overwhelming concern about building our nest egg and to be more concerned about the world to come. Our concern in this world should be primarily about matters of eternity, our pursuit of holiness, becoming like Christ, providing space where the kingdom of God can be pointed to as a sign of what's to come. of feeling that urgency to invite others into relationship with Jesus. This is both our invitation and our mission as disciples of Jesus. This urgency, can you not feel it? Can you not see the vultures circling in our world today? You know, for me, that's like the image that comes to mind when I I think about El Paso right now. And I think about Dayton, Ohio. Can you not see the vultures circling around that? The end is near. Not everyone that you know, not everyone in your circle of influence, maybe not everyone in this room is positioned now to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God, but our heart and God's heart is that everyone would. And so I wanna ask you this question, who do you know that has not taken Jesus up on his invitation? And here's the second question, what are you doing about that? None of us can decide for someone but we can always be people who are presenting the opportunity and holding the space for invitation. I have someone very dear to me in my life who is not in relationship with Jesus. I cannot fix that situation. I cannot decide for him. And so how do I interact with that in a way that doesn't lose sight of the urgency of that? I am holding space and hope that someday he is going to be in relationship with Jesus. And so I fight for him in the heavenly realms, and he hates me that I do that for him. But I don't care, because as a Christ follower who sees the potential for him to be in relationship with Jesus, that is my sacred duty, that is my sacred honor, that is our mission as Christ followers, to hold space in our lives for the people who don't yet know Jesus and always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. My friends, I do not present to you pressure except that which Holy Spirit might be exerting on you right now. If you are within the sound of my voice and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, you have not stepped in to that invitation to know Jesus as your savior, as your rescuer, as your best friend, I would beg you that today be the day. There is a fragility to life. Too many of us live like tomorrow is promised. And Jesus tells us that over and over and over again. And you do not have to live long in our world to understand that tomorrow is not promised. And yet that doesn't have to scare us if we know where our tomorrow lies. If you know where your tomorrow lies, you actually get freed up to live in this space of this world with great freedom because death would only bring the opportunity to be reunited with the one you love the most, with the one who loves you the most. So if you don't have that kind of peace, if you don't have that relationship, I wanna encourage you to talk with a a member of your campus pastor team, to talk with a prayer partner up front, to talk with a person wearing a lanyard. In your note guide, right inside panel, there's there's a way that you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Let today be the day of salvation, of accepting that invitation. And now, my friends, we have set up the parable that we are actually going to get into today. All of that to get to this moment, but it's all important stuff because you can't look at Jesus' words, you can't just pull them out and say, hey, let's figure out what that means without looking at the context of what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus is talking about, hey, the end is going to come. There's an urgency, I'm going to come back. And then Luke chapter 18, verse 1, most translations say then or and. In the translation we're going to look at, just because the story laid out better, it says one day. But this passage is just right on the hills of this interaction that Jesus had. And so let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, the parable of the persistent widow together. Then Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came repeatedly to him, saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman, this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? The parable of the persistent widow. Now, Jesus uses a tool in this parable, and he's actually, he's asking many questions as he's delivering the parable. And so we're going to stay in that vein as we go through our note guide. And so if you just want your note guide to be the same, I just want to tell you this one is not like that. On the the front end, some of you already got in there and you know that, and you're looking for the fill-ins and they're not there. It's okay. Jesus used this method of teaching where he asked questions, and we're going to stay in that same vein. And we're going to ask Holy Spirit to help us as we process some of the questions listed in your note guide. I have a few more as we look to learn all that we can from this parable. Now... As as I alluded to, there are different lenses that you can look at the parables through, and there are at least three lenses that you could look at this parable through primarily and say, this is what Jesus was trying to teach. And so I'm just going to present those to you, and I'll talk just a little bit about them. But really, I want to invite you in this week to go back to this parable, to ask yourself these questions again. There's more questions in your, in your discussion guide uh, for small group interaction, and I encourage you to use those as well, to honestly just sit with Holy Spirit and let Holy Spirit speak truth to you as you process a little bit more. So what are the three lenses? The first, Jesus kind of gives it away in the first verse. He says, this parable is about our need to pray with persistence and with faith. The second lens that you could look at this parable through, it is about our right understanding of who God is and who we are in Jesus in relationship to God. A third lens that you could look at this parable through is that it is about God's care and concern for those who are affected by injustice. So in light of the urgency of Jesus' return and what that means for us and those we love, the world around us, I want to ask you this question. What are you ordering your life around? Because the reality is we make choices in our 24-7, 365, and, and even though we might say, hey, my life is all about Jesus, we can be making decisions and ordering our life around a central thing that is really not Jesus, it's really something else. And I think it's good for us to take inventory and an audit of our own our own self, our own life, and just ask Holy Spirit to help us do that in an honest way. So here's the question, what are you ordering your life around? And we can most often see this show up by examining what we are waiting for. And so I wanna ask you this question, What are you waiting for? I would also say that we can see it in what are we working for. Many of us are waiting for, working for retirement, a promotion, a relationship to reconcile, our next vacation, physical healing, a prodigal to return, an addiction to run its course. We're waiting to get pregnant. We're waiting for our kids to leave home and maybe never return, hopefully. (laughs) The list could go on and on. And I wanna let you know, look, I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. Apparently. But what I'm inviting us to consider is that many of us are waiting for something that is just about the here and now, and we're not actually living expectantly waiting for Christ's return, first and foremost. I have to think that if our number one um, expectation and our waiting was primarily ordered around Christ's return, Christ's imminent return, and our response to that, that our choices in our 24-7, 365 might look a lot different. And so as a follow-on to this question, I wanna ask you this, how are you waiting? Are you entitled, impatient, peaceful, expectant? It's important to us to reflect and understand that, that how we're waiting, what's happening in our spirit is an important part of what, if, what informs what we're waiting for. And so many times the things we're waiting for in our everyday life consume us and it shows up in our prayer life quite often. Because, because we've, we've come to prayer and we're, we're approaching it with our need, with what's bubbling up in us, with what, what we're waiting for, what we're expectant for, and we want to address that first and foremost. And so when we pray about these things, you know, scriptures, it's full of invitation for us to pray continually, pray with faith, pray like Jesus did. And so another good question for us to sit with is this one what are you praying for? When you spend time with with your good, good father in prayer, what is it that you're bringing to him? What are you praying for? We have to remember when we engage with prayer that prayer is not a lever. God is not a cosmic slot machine where we approach him in prayer and we grab the lever and we pull down on it and we say no whammies, no whammies, no whammies, and we hope that somehow God responds with three cherries across the top. I don't know, I don't do the slots, but whatever would be really good that we want to have happen and we win the jackpot. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is not a lever. Prayer is about alignment. It's primarily about alignment where Holy Spirit aligns our hearts and our minds and our spirits to the heart of God. Prayer is the conversation where we talk and we listen and we approach God in a surrendering posture and we say, not my will, God, but yours be done. You know, over the last several months in my prayer life, I have felt often so inadequate to even know how to pray. Because I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's best. I feel so overwhelmed to be specific in prayer. I'm like, I just feel like sometimes I'm coming to the, the Father in prayer. And I'm just like, because <laughs> I don't know what to say, but I, but I want to present myself in prayer. And scripture talks about that, you know, just like the groan, because you, you know that Holy Spirit is involved in that space. But one of the, one of the images that I've had that has really helped me in this space is to remember that Jesus, the Jesus who came and died and rose again, now sits at the right hand of the Father, and he prays for me, and he prays for you, and he prays for us. And I think maybe the best prayer that I can pray is to say, Father, Son, and Spirit, align my heart and my soul and my mind to the prayer that Jesus is praying for me right now to the Father. What better prayer can we offer? than to just let our heart echo the prayer that Jesus is praying for us. And so my friends, I wanna ask you this question, how are you praying? Are you praying with boldness and courage and persistence and expectancy? You see, in this parable, Jesus presents us with the story of a widow. Now, a widow in that day was a person without status, or privilege, or voice, or means, this widow had no business in the culture and time of the day to go to a judge. And yet she did. She rose up in spite of all of that to present her request to an unjust judge. And if we look at the characteristics of that judge, we have to realize that our loving father is the opposite of that unjust judge. Our God is for us. Our God is a judge. And there will come a day when Jesus returns, there will be a judgment, but he is a just judge. He is a God who is for us, not against us. And in this parable, we see if even this unjust judge finally honored the request of the widow, how much more will our just loving father answer us? Verse 7 tells us that he will answer us by bringing about justice for his chosen ones. My friends, we live in a broken world, one marked by injustice, racism, sexism, genocide, famine, human slavery, mass shootings, exploitation of people through pornography and prostitution and mass incarceration all tell us this is so. And in this parable, Jesus declares definitively that Father, Son, and Spirit, the triune God care about this and their heart is to make things right, to make things whole. N.T. Wright talks about God's heart for justice in this way. He says, when God wants to change the world, he doesn't send in the tanks. He sends in the meek, the mourners, those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice, the peacemakers. We are those peacemakers, my friends. We are his agents of reconciliation. We get to steward shalom and justice where people can experience right relationship with him, with themselves, and with other people. My brothers and sisters, I wanna ask you this question. While you wait for Jesus to return, what are you doing while you wait? If you ordered your life around waiting for his return, or if you've already done that, what are you doing while you wait? Are you engaging in persistent prayer? Are you praying for and engaging in reconciling injustices that plague our world today? Is your waiting and praying self-focused or others-centered? Are your actions in your daily life pointing to the urgency of Christ's return? Jesus ends this parable with a question. He says, when the son of man comes, when the son of man returns, will he find faith on earth? And so my friends, here's my last question. How is your faith? How is your faith? Hebrews 11 defines faith like this for us. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Where is your hope? How is your confidence? You know, I'll admit that I've found my own faith flagging in these days, the days that we live in that are so marked by divisiveness, by a culture of us versus them. It's really, its It's deeply disturbing in our culture. You could pick almost any topic, any personal dynamic, and it seems like people would find a way to fracture from each other. And the temptation is to embrace a narrative that says, well, that's just the way the world is. It's impossible to live any other way. It is us versus them. And you could pick, pick a thing that you wanna divide along, black, white, black, brown, language, politics, religion, and on and on and on it would go. I recently read a, read a statement on social media and you know how that is, but it resonated for me. I don't know who said it, but it's a good thing to think about. You know that you have made God in your own image when he hates the same people that you do. My friends, the kingdom of God is not an us versus them conversation. The kingdom of God is all about we. And as Christ followers, I think one of the most important things that we've gotta be, got be vigilant about is protecting the kingdom of God as a we invitation. There is no us versus them when God is in the middle of that conversation because God is for, God is for. And so that's our invitation to be in this space of being for people, being for him, for being for truth, for love, for justice, for mercy. You see where I'm going with this. As you engage with Holy Spirit this week, and I hope that you do that, I wanna encourage you to come back to these questions. What are you really waiting for? What are you praying for? What are you doing while you wait? How is your faith? The parable of the persistent widow should give us hope and encourage us that God sees all, God loves all. It is his desire that none would perish It was his heart from the beginning that justice and righteousness would be all we would ever know, but because of sin, our story has taken an awful turn, but we are invited to be in relationship with him and to invite others into that same relationship. May he find us to be faithful agents of that reconciling invitation. Let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray that you would examine us, that you would search us and know us, and you would show us if there is any offensive way in us and that you would lead us into truth and understanding and righteousness and justice for that is your heart. Father, I pray that you give us courage to sit with Spirit in space and time this week, that you would speak truth to us, that you would convict us, that you would would challenge us and that you would set us firmly in this truth that we are more than conquerors in Christ and that you've equipped us and that you've empowered us, not for our agenda not based on our, our, our desires, but on yours. And so we choose today to align our hearts and our wills to yours. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.